This show is for every woman who has accepted pain and discomfort as inherent to being a woman or has denied any part of themselves to make it or feel accepted. Women of reproductive age have been left out of a lot of research because our bodies and our hormones are considered too complicated. What is worse is this idea trickles down into education, leaving most women with very little information about how their bodies work. Not only are we not taught how our bodies work, but once you start asking questions, it is surprisingly difficult to find answers. I believe that every woman deserves to know how her body works, to recognize when symptoms arise, and to feel confident in her inner voice. Because the pain, the mood swings, and the hormones are not your problem. They are your body's messengers. So I'm here to confront and change narratives around being a woman, being hormonal, and yes, PMSing. I'm your host, Brianna Viegas, and welcome to My Hormone Rants. To wrap up the series that I've been doing over the past few weeks about relationships, my husband is joining me again to do a little Q&A. So we also got some questions from listeners and their partners that we are going to jump into today. So Dan's actually going to start asking me some questions that partners submitted. All right. So first question, how does it feel to be that different from week to week, day to day, month to month? Yeah, I think this is a great one and definitely probably really hard for men to understand when their natural hormone changes are set every day, right? Their testosterone shifts happen across the day and reset every morning. We have different energy and focuses that shift across each phase. And so we experience those energy focuses for weeks at a time. I think there's a couple things to note here. One is that what it should feel like is just this like smooth transition between these different energy types, the same that a man would feel across his day. Where so right off the bat, that's already so different than my experience would be, right? And I'm thinking like pre-kids, I'm, I'm getting my sleep every night, I'm waking up, feeling incredible. And, and that's, that's feeling how I feel every single day. For you, right off the bat, it's, it's already just different throughout the month. So I think understanding that is, is well, key. yeah, I think part of it, too, is understanding how your body works, because if you can think about that of like first thing in the morning, high energy, like ready to go, ready to hit the ground running men who struggle with insulin resistance or other like physiological things like they might not have that experience because their bodies also aren't working like optimally. But when your body's working optimally, you have that high energy and then kind of like around lunchtime early afternoon, like you might hit a dip in energy, but then that kind of comes back in that, you know, like five to seven range, right? Like the happy hour window where you do want to go out, you want to socialize with people. So you're experiencing that across the day. And so as gentle as those shifts are, where like you notice it, like, oh, like I'm a little tired or I need a pick me up or like it's time for my afternoon snack because my energy is dipping. That's how the shifts from week to week should feel. But then if you're asking about like what women commonly experience in terms of like PMS and these more extreme shifts when their hormones aren't in balance, I like to compare that to if you had had poor sleep for two weeks and then after two weeks of poor sleep, you're told to go live your life, have peak performance, and it all of a sudden is very reasonable that you're cranky, your blood sugar's out of whack, and like one nap's not going to fix that. One snack is not going to fix that problem. Like this is at a state of like you're burnt out, like you need some real support at that point. And that's really what's happening is your hormones are out of balance. And so your experience of everything 
can be really heightened and it can be extreme and you then are less able to regulate your emotions, similar to sleep deprivation. Yeah, I think this was the best example that you've given me and that, again, I I probably would not have understood had we not had kids. I think before kids, you know, maybe like one night I'd stay out really late with friends and I'd be tired for a day, but like I don't think I'd ever in my life experienced even two or three days in a row of, of bad sleep. And it wasn't until our first kid where... You know, that's like three months when they're first born where you're just, you're like in a daze and like, you don't feel good. I remember not having energy to work out, being more irritable, all all these things that you're talking about. Yeah, like I, I, I never really understood until having kids what that could feel like. And I think for me, it was a little maybe a little worse because I'm so used to feeling so good. Yeah, I was going to say you're a little bit of an anomaly too in terms of like how well you normally sleep and how well you normally feel and function. I don't think that's even like the normal male experience. But if you're not sleeping or you've had a hangover, like you don't feel good in your body. And then you're not as patient. You're not as in control of your moods, like all of those things. I mean, men definitely experience this. Mm -hmm. You know, and imagine too, like if it were reversed and you were being asked to be high energy for a week straight instead of from five to 9 a.m. or 5 to 10 a.m. and like there were no breaks but then it's like but don't worry like in three weeks you'll get to rest and like catch up that wouldn't work for you either like you wouldn't be able to push at that level at at that peak performance for that extended period of time I think that's a good example too I remember at my first job when I was more of in more of a consulting role, I remember the first time I got assigned to a project that was like, we were working like 8 a.m. to 3 a.m. the next day. And the first couple of days were like, oh, this is exciting, high energy. This is like almost fun because it was the first time I'd done it. And it was at about that like two week mark where I was like, I'm so done. I do not care about anything anymore. And it was just like that consistent like sleep deprivation you're talking about. I, this only, I only did it one time. And, and I think one point that I was trying to make earlier is that you know, you giving that sleep example, I, I kind of like need to experience stuff to understand things. So like, if you had told me that like five years ago before kids, I would have been like, okay, like you're, so you're tired. Like I can, I can get over being tired because I, I would not have understood what it is like to actually be sleep deprived. When we had Leo, that's the first time I, I actually experienced it. And like, could truly say like, okay, it's, it's different. I, I can't just overpower this. And like, yeah, I could show up to work, but like, I'm not functioning at the level I do normally. I think for a lot of people, like if you're a guy and you haven't had kids and you've never experienced like sleep deprivation, like it's really hard to understand until you've done it. Like you're just not yourself. If that's the case, probably the better example is like try and live your life hungover in a world that's not dimming lights, that's not dimming noises, that's not (laughs) in any way like accommodating the fact that you don't feel good in your body and then being like, here, draw this work, or let me hand you three kids to take care of today, or, you know, like, whatever it is, it's like, you know that you're not at your peak performance when you're hungover, and that's why so many people call in sick and don't show up at work, Mm -hmm. but women can't call in sick if, like, there's people that need them, there's things that they need to show up for, Um, and so then the fact that they're cranky while they're doing it becomes, I think, a lot more understandable. All right, so second question, what is the worst part for you, and how can I partner help you with that? I think this is a great question to ask, and I think it shows how much partners are really interested in 
helping. It's not like they like watching you suffer. But I think after years of like trying to solve it and it not working, it can lead to that level of like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to dismiss anything that happens right now. Or like, I'm going to create these coping mechanisms because I can't help in these situations. And I think this is one that is so specific. So I think this is a super key question for women to consider because it may not feel safe for a partner to ask this or they don't know when to ask it and get a productive conversation out of it. I think for women, this can be really helpful to think really explicit. What is the worst part? What days are the worst? What symptoms are the worst? And what would help you with those? Because I also think what's going to help will be different by person as well and different based on stage of life because it could be that you just need to ask your partner like, hey, this day out of the month when my cramps are the worst or my my symptoms are at their worst. We need to have separate days. Like I need a day on my own where I can just do whatever I want. And we don't have to interact or be responsible for each other. Um, And I will say like in our earlier years of marriage, one of the reasons those coping mechanisms worked is because we could just be like, all right, I'm going to my room. You go to your space. We will just like have separate time. But then when kids came into the picture, it was like, there's no break. Like, I can't just be like, all right, I'm taking the day off. Like, have fun (laughs) with all the kids. Like, I do need to be there. There's times that I can't do that. And so I think it's figuring out in your stage of life, like, what are the key support that that you can give? But definitely one for women to really consider and understand that guys don't do well with ideas of things. They do well with concrete steps. (laughs) What are things you can give them to do? It doesn't necessarily have to be a tangible thing, but giving them a tangible out as well. If it's just like, I need you to not ask me and not (laughs) engage with it, then that can be the answer. But letting them know what they're sort of on the hook for. Okay, so third question, how can I navigate mood swings? Oh, that's a a fun one, one, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, the mood swings. And I, yeah, and I think, again, this is showing that empathy on the part of partners of like, it's not like they're trying to piss you off. It's not like that's their goal. And really, that's not self-serving. Like, that doesn't help anyone. So I think part of that is educating yourself or, or being open to learn. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to read all the books or do all of the Googling. But especially as you're doing this together, like, as she learned things, like, be open to having the conversations and learning so that you can start to have an understanding of, like, when it is optimal to have different conversations, just like which phases are most optimal. But I also think that it's important not to discount like the knowledge that you have built up over time that you may not really consciously be thinking about, but you're very sensitive to her changes in mood, to her body language. You know when the mood shifts. You know when something's different. And so much better than tracking on a calendar like when her period is going to start is to start paying attention to like when is she being triggered faster or when are these mood things kind of showing up and trying to use that knowledge to kind of you're not reading their mind but you can read their body language and that can help you to to stop so if you start having a conversation and you see their body language shift you can always be like you know what like maybe we should talk about this later That's one thing that I feel like Dan and I have gotten really good at over the years is taking conversations, especially ones that are really important. If he brings it up or if I bring it up and he sees my body language change, like we both have the option to say, hey, I think it's better if we talk about this another day. And then the other piece is like, you know, if this is 
a conversation that has to happen in this moment. One thing I've started to do that's been helpful is like tell you, okay, like I recognize that we need to have this conversation. I'm not in the best mood. So like my tone and my face might look like I'm mad at you. I'm not, but like I'm going to do my best to manage that and not like lash out at you. But like don't take that personally as me being mad at you or the conversation. It's just like I'm not having the best day but we need to have this conversation because it's time sensitive. I think the other really important thing here is to really get okay with the idea that your job isn't actually to fix the emotions. Your job isn't to make it stop. As a partner, you're not responsible for that emotion. And I think it's really important to start having conversations that are setting up those explicit boundaries of you need to tell me when you're upset because of something I did. And it's something that we need to talk about that like, I'm doing or need to work on versus you having an emotion. And I think for women, it's important to make a conscious effort and like be thoughtful about, are you putting that emotion on them? Are you making them feel responsible for this thing that you're feeling versus learning how to actually work through that emotion on your own? I think there's a balance there of, yeah, I have a right to not be happy all the time. Like as humans, we're not constantly happy. Aside from Dan. (laughs) No, but even Dan has fluctuations. They're just tiny ones. But like, you know, that's a human nature to have feelings towards situations, to have reactions. And it's not always positive. And negative emotions, like positive emotions, are ultimately signals. And so they're worth evaluating and processing through. But it's like this balance of giving space for them without putting it on another person and not taking it on. So that's like work on both sides. I know that's one that you struggled with, right? Is like not taking that on. Yeah, definitely. And I think when I hear you say these things, what stands out to me is that, you know, everyone always says, oh, communication is key. You got to communicate. You got to communicate. And I think that's 100% true. But just as much as that's important, I think on the flip side of that is like knowing when not to communicate and push things to later. I think I think that's what's taken me a long time is recognizing, like you said, like the body language and the mood and things like that. And I think maybe I just I just had it like on a my mood's my responsibility, your mood's your responsibility. So like you just have to like we got to talk about this right now, even though it's not going to be a a good conversation. And that just took me so long to like notice. And maybe I wasn't putting in the effort to notice the mood you were in or, or take those other things into account when bringing things up. That's a lot of effort too, to like be constantly looking out for these hints and clues. And I think the more, you know, in touch you are with like your emotions and, and things like that, it's probably going to be easier. And because I'm further away from being in touch with my emotions, it's going to be harder for me to like sense those. It's, but I think that's where getting really explicit Because sometimes I will say that, like, I'll be upset about something and Dan will make a comment about it of, like, why are you getting mad at me? And I'll say, like, I am mad. I'm not mad at you. Like, Mm -hmm. I can deal with this or I can have this emotion right now. Like, I'm working on that piece. I'm working on being mad. Like, that's a thing I'm dealing with. But that's not the same as being mad at him. So because I am better at that piece of the emotional intelligence piece, like, I've taken more of that, I guess, burden or that task of being more explicit with you and defining those. But even if it's not getting like that deep into the emotion piece, if you're not there yet, even just being explicit about like what the ask is. If I just need to share something, lead the conversation with like, I need to rant to you about something or 
And I, I don't need you to say Yeah, anything. or like, <laughs> I have a question for you. Or like, I explicitly say like, I'm asking for your opinion on this. Or I'm asking what you think about this. Do you have a different perspective on this? And if Brie doesn't say those things, I've learned to, when she's done, like, okay, so what do you want from me in this moment? Like, do you want yeah. my opinion, my suggestions? Do you just, do you not want anything? Like... Because most of the time it's an invitation to be empathetic and hear them. And because that's mm-hmm. what most of us want is to be heard and to say, yeah, wow, that's really frustrating. Or like, I see that that was a hard damn. Which is the hardest thing in the world for me to say when like there's a clear answer. <laughs> well, it seems clear to right. you, right? right? right, right. But it's, that's what I mean. And I think that's the part. It's assuming that if you're talking about the problem, you don't see the clear solution. And I think a lot of time the issue is that women do see the clear solution, but they're going to have to walk through these emotions first. And this is really comes back to socialization, right? Like women have been taught that emotions are valuable and to share those emotions. And that process is a part of connecting with people. Whereas men have been taught to shut that down. Just get it explicit on, yeah, like what do you want out of this conversation? And not in a defensive way, just being more curious and and doing it both ways. And it Because ultimately, like you're a team. And the point is to have more productive conversations that are bringing you closer together as opposed to trying to be right or to be like, that your way is the best. It's like, they're different. And that's the beauty of, you know, diversity. And that's the beauty of like working together on something is the more different your perspectives are, the more it challenges you to think differently and just be more open to, you know, perspectives and, and possibilities in the world. If you've been enjoying the conversations that I've been having with Dan over the last few weeks, I'd encourage you to share this with someone that you know, who could also benefit from it. And definitely check out the show notes for this episode. I've put together a couple free resources for you. One is a PMS guide for couples that's going to help guide you through these conversations as well as some tangible action steps that you can do to support each other along the way. And I've also created a mood tracker that's really designed to help you identify these patterns in your own cycle and not just symptoms, not just pain, but where to see the way that this positive energy shifts consistently show up in your life. I hope you enjoy it. All right. So now let's switch over to some questions from the ladies. So one thing that we've talked about is that because my symptoms were so extreme, that did limit ways that I could actually contribute in tangible ways around the house for parts of the month. And even women who don't have as extreme symptoms, like there may be a few days where they're kind of laid up due to cramps or PMS. And so I was curious how you sort of navigated what may have felt like taking on extra responsibilities like around the house, like whether that was with dishes or cooking. One of the one of the big conversations we had a few years back was um, basically considering mental load. And that was a new concept to me. And once it was brought up, I quickly realized like, oh, like this is a thing that like we're both taking on mental loads and it's different. And that that should be considered in addition to the, you know, the physical things that you're doing at home, like cooking or cleaning or laundry. Some mental loads that I hadn't considered were, you know, for kids, like how we were feeding them or our parenting philosophy. So understanding that even if there was a week where I did all the all the cooking or even took the kids a little more it was like, okay, well, there's still a lot of other things she is doing that you can't see. And that is important. I think another one too was realizing that parents can bring a mood into the home. So like, you know, if Brie was super exhausted and and irritable or something like that can, that can come onto the kids. So like if she needs to take a little bit, you know, an extra 10 minutes after work to 
and I guess relax and, and come out at a better mood, what is that going to bring into our home? That's going to mean people are generally in a better mood. Like, okay, that that's something she's bringing into the home too. So that that's almost like a mental load as well. So I think a lot of little things like that and really just general, the, the 50, 50 mentality that I think a lot of people have, like no one's going to come out winning with, with that. There's always going to be like, well, I did this, you should do this. And I think that can get unhealthy really quickly. So I think we, we kind of did away with that a while ago. So kind of just looking at the whole picture has helped me. And this is probably more of a reverse situation than a lot of people are in, or at least some people. I know it's very common to have the reverse where like the wife is doing a lot of the physical tasks in the home as well as the mental load tasks. And I think it's just learning like how to place value on things too, you know, or thinking about, you know, who's cooking meals or who's doing the grocery shopping or who's putting gas in the car. Like all of these things require time and thought. And I think that's the biggest thing is we think like, oh, well, you just like go to the gas station. But really what you have to do is you have to think through your day and make a point of like, where is this going to fit in? Which gas station am I going to go to? What do I believe about gas? Am I the person who like fills it up anytime it like gets to three quarters of a tank? Or am I someone who uses it until it's like on E and fills out like, you know, there's all these thoughts that go into such minor tasks that I think we don't always consider and place value on what someone is really taking on when they do that even something as simple as like taking out the garbage like is that person taking out the garbage and refilling the bag like are they doing the whole process and it now is something that you never have to think about like that's value added and so I think the more that you can really shift it to a gratitude practice of like what is this person doing and how are they bringing value or how are they taking things off my plate so I can do this thing that I love to do or allows me to contribute in the way that feels good for me. Yeah. And it's always easy to put more value on what you do and put less value on what your partner's doing. I think a really good example that one of my friends gave me, um, was that, um, you know, growing up her, her dad worked and then she would get home and he was always in a bad mood and he always talked about how he hated his job. So as growing up, she just assumed she was going to hate her job, that like jobs were not fun. Jobs were awful. And that was just a long-term small little thing that shaped her her whole life and seeing how something like that can affect kids it's like almost thinking about how this value hidden all over the place all right so i think something related to this is cycle thinking like shifts your really your approach to life and so this can involve a lot of changes but if there is a partner who's maybe resistant to the changes happening do you have any suggestions for how women can communicate like the need for support or how their partner can support them to make it the most successful. Yeah. I think letting your partner know and helping them understand that like this affects them as well. So if you want to stop eating cookies every night or having a drink every night, letting your partner know, you know, this is something you want to do and that by them having that cookie or alcohol every night, like that just makes it very difficult for you the least they can do is like not make it more difficult for you. Right. So maybe they have that cookie in private or that drink in private when you're trying to do this, letting them know it's going to affect their lives. He's like, if you're in a better mood, if you're handling things better, it's going to be better for them too. On the don't make it harder part. I think it's also recognizing if these are ways that you relate to each other. Cause like, if that's your pattern, like we have a drink together every night and you decide like, we're no longer doing that. Are you setting yourself up to replace that ritual with an, a way that you can connect? Because it may not be that the drink is that hard to give up, but it could be that it's like, all right, but now what do we do? 
like this is our thing or late night desserts is our thing. And so it's working on adjusting those things like what's associated with that what are the meanings tied there and like how can you replace the item but still remain like connected you don't need someone on board to do it either obviously it makes a huge difference and I think communicating that is like giving them that validation that like their support does matter and it does impact you can just really make it something where like this is something they want to get on board with and they want to help you. All right. So next we're going to talk about a few things that people submitted that it's like, these are things that women wish their partners knew. Um, So the first one is really how their partners think about female issues, how they think about periods, how they think about cycles. And especially in the idea of women being inconsistent because we approach problems differently at different times. And it can feel if you're not aware of the pattern that's happening, because these things happen in very consistent ways and women are very consistent across a month as opposed to day to day. And so that can look irregular, but really it's not an inconsistent thing. It's just a different time metric. Um, And I think it can be really easy to fall into patterns of I'm so consistent, I look the same every day, and so that's the right or most logical way to approach things. And so the first thing there is really like that education piece of understanding that women are equally consistent. We're just not on a 24-hour schedule. We're on this 28, 30-day schedule. And so the the way we approach problems is going to be consistent per phase that we're in. Have you noticed that of like learning about cycle syncing and, and that education piece that you are able to see that differently? I think in general, learning about the menstrual cycle and cycle syncing has helped just me understand so much more of what you're going through and be, you know, empathetic towards it. Before I was, I was totally on the side of like, why aren't you just like me? So I think that understanding that is so important and key. And I think obviously it's going to help, like we have a daughter, so like that's going to help in understanding all of that. So it's important for many reasons, but I think just understanding it gives you different tools to an insight into like what's going on. Yeah. And I think that's really cool that you mentioned like our daughter. And I think that kind of comes into the next thing that came up in the responses was to think about the jokes around periods. Like, oh, well, you must be PMSing or like, oh, did you all sync up because you're all upset about something or uh, these things that get thrown around. And I think the issue is that it doesn't create an environment where your partner can be vulnerable and share their experience and help you to understand if that's the conversation that's had around periods. And again, it's really like you guys are ultimately a team and in a partnership. And the idea is to be closer together to to have more productive conversations. And these things don't further that. And then I think when related to the kids situation, it's like, who's listening? Like, it's not just your partner who's hearing this, who's an adult who can like dismiss this or separate it it's your kids and it's not just your daughters who are listening and learning how they're going to form their identity or, or how they're supposed to feel about their own bodies and their emotions. But it's also teaching sons about how to relate to people who are different from them, who are experiencing things that are different from them. You're developing worldviews in the process and kids don't have a filter to say like, oh, this is a joke. Their brains are just absorbing that as like, this is helping me understand the world. Okay, so to wrap up, we're going to do sort of a rapid fire ways that we've helped each other to throughout this process to make it the most successful. Why don't you start? 
yeah, a couple of things. I think just always seeing how much you were doing to work on yourself and, and to get better. I think that was that always helped me. Just like you obviously cared as well. You knew it was important. You knew it was affecting me too. Empowering me to set boundaries. So, for example, stepping away from conversations that we needed to revisit later. And another one is leading conversations or, you know, letting me know that your face or your tone isn't directed at me, that you're you're not mad because of me. And just being really upfront about that has always, um, especially recently, helped me kind of like step away or, or understand that it isn't me and, and take that on myself because that was always a problem for me. Also, one thing you did was you kind of educated yourself on your own patterns and triggers so that you didn't initiate conversations when they were inevitably going to become uh, a fight or, or just not set us up for success in that conversation. That was that was very helpful where like sometimes you'll start and then you'll immediately be like, you know what, we can't have this right now. And like you recognizing that yourself instead of me having to, to stop it, that, that helps a lot. I would say the w- biggest ways that you helped me um, was in not comparing me to other people. I felt like there was sort of like a bubble that we were in that was always sort of a safe place that I could be vulnerable and be struggling. And I knew that wasn't going to be thrown back in my face or brought up or told in public in other places. Like, and along with that, you were always really respectful. Like, I don't remember you making jokes about periods with other people or overhearing that a lot. Like, it seemed to be like just something that was just, this is like a human experience. And there was just space for that to to exist. And so that helped me to feel safe in our relationship and I think to continually to pursue answers and and like look for solutions and feel good about like this is not just impacting me, it's impacting you and like I wanted to be better for you as well because I also saw the way that you supported me in the process. And the other thing is you were always on board no matter what I was trying. And you were also bringing suggestions to the table. Um, Not that I was always the most open to them at different phases, but like you also recognize and you would tell me that like, you know, it doesn't seem normal that you feel like this. Um, And that pushback and hearing someone say that like also helped push me to say like, maybe this isn't, maybe there are answers and maybe I can be better. But it was always in a respectful way. It wasn't like, you know, calling me out. It was more just like, you seem distressed or you seem like you're in pain and like that doesn't seem right. Like maybe there's something we can do to help that. And then you are always open to learning. It wasn't like you were reading the books. You were always open for me to have the conversation with you and to explain it to you and to bring you into that learning process. You've always placed value on ways that I do contribute because that's been a hard thing for me is to see myself as never doing enough and knowing that you saw the other ways that I contributed in the family that weren't tangible and visible just help that process along what all of those really sum up is that you know we were always even in the hard times even when our coping mechanisms weren't the healthiest or we were not communicating the best way like at the end of the day we were ultimately a team and we were wishing for the best for one another and trying to help each other be the best versions of ourselves and we were also trying to be the best versions of ourselves like work on that on our own as well and ultimately with all of this it's been navigating the balance of responsibility 
like what's your work and what's my work and that's just been a constant conversation and one we continue (laughs) to have and I don't know that we'll ever stop because the way that that manifests is so different based on different stages of life but I think ultimately the best thing that we've done is we've gotten very comfortable talking about periods and my cycle and my moods and my symptoms and some of that was forced on us because it was like well we can't ignore it it's definitely the elephant in the room but you know now cycle phases and period updates are so commonplace in our house that sometimes you'll tell me you noticed a change even before I can tell you that it happened and it's their entire reproductive years which means the majority of your relationship the majority of a marriage is going to revolve around this cycle because women do have such a powerful impact on the mood in a home. And so having that be that commonplace in the conversation is game changing. Thank you so much for listening. With all of the things that are competing for your attention, it really means the world to me that you choose to be here. If you want more great episodes like this one, subscribe on iTunes, follow on Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you want to learn more about me and how I can help you stop normalizing your symptoms and start optimizing your experience, head to briannavegas.com or find me on Instagram at Coaching. You've got this.